how you can differentiate your product, you know, and demonstrate the value there that it will bring. How many people are you going to get into that program? And then how many of those are going to be engaged and how many are going to stay engaged? If you can solve all those issues, then you have a very strong case to, to get in and, and, and close the deal. Welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Entrepreneurship. So glad that you're here. On this week's episode, we talk with Tom Vertick, who had an impressive stint as a benefits manager at American Airlines and several other Fortune 500 companies. If you've listened to this show before, you know we talked to entrepreneurs, we've had um, you know health tech CEOs, we've had physicians, we've had investors on the show. But today is an opportunity to actually talk with somebody who's on the ground implementing these benefits plans that we've talked about so often. So this episode is different, but it's really, really valuable because we have to understand um, who's actually using the product. We can't just talk about building, we gotta talk about using. So without further ado, let's dive in and get to know Tom Vertick. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Digital Health Entrepreneurship. I am sitting here with Lawrence Gerard and Tom Vertick. And today is gonna be a fun conversation because we're actually speaking with one of, uh, I would say, and I think a lot of people would say, one of uh, the professionals in the HR and benefits side of this. So we're really going to understand how does this all work? And so Lawrence, you have a lot of great questions prepared. I want to throw it to you. Give us some context for uh, how you and Tom got to know each other. Yeah. So I um, reached out on LinkedIn because I wanted to form an employer advisory board and get advice from benefits managers who are the ones basically making, you know, purchasing decisions about digital health solutions and benefits. I get a lot of advice from doctors, but probably the advice from the uh, end user would be more valuable. So, um, or equally valuable. But uh, so I guess, um, Tom, maybe you could just tell everybody a little bit about your background in the benefits world to start with. Well, mine's probably not your normal uh, background. I have uh, first started my career on the brokerage side, uh, family agency for about nine years. So I've spent uh, about equal time on the broker consulting side with the corporate HR side. Uh, employers I've worked for in the past, Office Depot, LabCorp, uh, American Airlines. So um, Fortune 500 corporate benefits is my background. Yeah, thanks for uh, sharing that. So I guess um, when you think about, I mean, digital health solutions like, you know, a telemedicine program or, I mean, a diabetes prevention program or a mental health solution, I mean, do you think that the main um, motivation for an employer to adopt these solutions is is cost savings or, or are there other reasons as well? It's mostly driven by cost savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, sometimes I'll hear from employers that, I mean, of course, they also want to have like a healthy population and, you know, just provide comprehensive benefits. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, they're looking to save money. I mean, would you say that, um, I, I mean, that's maybe the number one job responsibility of a benefits team? Or, I mean, how would you say a benefits team is is judged by, I guess, you know, maybe it's the CFO of the company or someone else. I mean, is this one of their primary responsibilities, cost savings? Or, or how would you describe that? Well, it's it's primarily around uh, managing the cost. Um, it definitely is, is an important aspect of their job security. Um, when presenting solutions like that to the uh, financial people, they do have to provide sound um, evidence that what they're providing is gonna provide the type of savings that they're uh, 
presenting. And, and the finance people are going to look at the cost and weigh the, the benefit before making the final decision. Mm-hmm. So would you say that um, in most you know, Fortune 500 companies, it's the head of benefits is deciding that, or do they work close, closely with, say, I mean, the CFO as well? It really depends on the organization. I would say probably 60% of them uh, finances is heavily involved in that decision process. Uh, they're really the, the final decision makers in that process. Right, right. Uh, probably um, majority of the rest is it's probably contained within the, the head of HR uh, making making that decision. Right, makes sense. Um, and I guess, uh, I mean, just relevant to Fruit Street, I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but um, I guess, uh, what do you see as some of the biggest uh, healthcare issues for employers? I mean, um, do you see it as like diabetes, obesity, you know, unnecessary emergency room visits, all of the above? I mean, I don't want to give you the answer, but, but what do you, I mean, what do you think? I think the emerging issue is uh, specialty med- medications and the, and the new medications that are coming out uh, to treat things like cancer. Uh, if you look at what is likely to have the most impact, the biggest driver on on future trend, it's going to be specialty medication. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure some of them can be pretty expensive um, as well. Uh, let, let's see what other questions we have here. So I guess I, I feel like when I speak with physicians, a lot of them don't necessarily understand how um, like a benefit is is necessarily communicated. Um, could could you describe a little bit of uh, you know your knowledge about you know, benefits navigation platforms and some of the different ones that you like and uh, kind of the role that they play? Uh, well, there, there's, there's a few of them out there. I think um, some of them uh, do a good job in, uh, in, in helping improve the cost. They do it through some disruptive means. If you're willing to stomach uh, the disruption, it, they work really well. Um, I think if you gear towards ones that are maybe perhaps less disruptive, you're not going to be very pleased with the results. I think from a cost saving standpoint, I don't think it'll cost you money in the end. I think they will provide some savings, probably just enough to pay for their solution, but that's still probably perhaps a win-win because you're, you're providing something that's going to give a better user experience for the employees. Right. Yeah. It seems like a, a lot of the challenge of benefits is just, communicating what's available and just getting people to enroll in these different programs in the first place. Right. Yeah. 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 I would, I, I'm curious. I mean, you've worked at some notable companies, but uh, you, you know, most particular American airlines, pretty decent stint there. How hard is it to make adjustments to these plans that are affecting, you know, in some cases, a couple hundred thousand employees, uh, are, are, are there a lot of changes in the benefits plan from year to year? Um, and, and even, I mean, I'm sure you're getting bombarded. I would imagine you're getting bombarded with people that want a slice of that pie. With larger employers, you, you don't typically see drastic changes from, from one year to the next uh, for a couple of reasons. One, just from a public relations standpoint, they, they wouldn't necessarily want to deal with really bad press. Um, more likely to be unionized so again you have collective bargaining agreements to kind of keep you from being able to do that in the mid-market um yeah i, I think you know you're talking about the 500 to 5,000 life you can probably see some very significant changes uh you know if they have a sudden surprise in their cost shifts 
um, they, they're more likely to make significant changes to their programs to basically survive, especially right now. Right. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious too, cause Lawrence, I'm sure that there's many times where, you know, you've pitched fruit street to some investors and in their mind, you know, they don't, they don't know what it's like to be a benefits manager. They don't know what that's like, but in their mind, they're thinking like, Oh, this isn't, this is an awesome product. Like, and they can, they can see, Oh man, you know, we get American airlines on board. We get this company, we get this company. Like they can see the value of it, but they don't really understand. Uh, well, I guess that's the question. What do, uh, investors or people need to understand about a role like yours? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the doctors think about it as like the patients in their practice and they think, Oh, it's a great, you know, diabetes solution. I'll just offer it to my yeah. patient. Um, which, which they, they do. Um, but I, I think some of them don't realize that, I mean, it could take you, you know, two years to close a, a deal. I mean, I was talking to the benefits manager at Walmart a week ago and they're talking about 2022 already. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So it's pretty, pretty long process. And I, I guess that's the thing that, um, I guess frustrates me sometimes. I mean, most of our revenues come from employers, but it's just a handful. Um, I mean, I guess, um, Tom, what, what do you think is the best, you know, marketing strategy to reach employers? For example, I know a lot of them will only look at something that a benefits consultant brings to them from Mercer or Aon or that kind of thing. Uh, do you have any idea of like what percentage of them will only look at something a benefits consultant produces versus looking at something directly themselves. Do you have any sense of that? You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, when you're in a, uh, offering a solution that has a lot of other players in the market, I think differentiation is probably the, the crucial factor. Mm -hmm. How you can differentiate your product, uh, demo, you know, and demonstrate, uh, the value there that it will bring. I think the third thing that the more experienced, uh, benefits people are going to look at, is how many people are you going to get into that program? Mm -hmm. And then how many of those are going to be engaged? And, and finally, how many are going to stay engaged You know, once they've completed that first phase? If you can solve all those issues, then you have a very strong case to, to get in and, and, and close the deal. Right. Yeah. And I, I suppose, uh, you know, the idea is that if, I mean, if you hadn't, you know, another employer in the same industry, it would be a nice proof of concept for, uh, you know, the next employer. Yeah. If you're known, I mean, you know, the moment you, you crack that point and you've, you've picked up some very large prestige accounts, then, then you've got, uh, at least some visible credibility that other, other benefits people look at right. and, and, and feel more comfortable. But if you're not, if you don't, if you're not at that point, then the other items that I shared, probably is the way to get in. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I know we've gone to some of these conferences like National Business Group on Health where, I mean, employ I mean, certainly the benefits managers seem to talk to each other and, and uh, share what's working. And that's where we've gotten most of our um, success. But I guess the question is, I mean, why do these employers even need these benefits consultants like Mercer? I mean, I guess it's just that they don't necessarily have the expertise. I mean, what it what do they turn to them for really just everything related to benefits or, um, and same thing with the health plans. I mean, I know that the, you know, the health plan would adjudicate claims, but I guess the employers just feel like they don't have the healthcare expertise. Is that what's going on? Oh, they, they definitely don't. I think you hire uh, a consultant if you're doing it right to supplement or augment uh, 
your internal capabilities. If you have good internal capabilities, then your consultant is going to have more of a strategic role. Mm-hmm. And if you and if not, then they may be uh, functioning um, more tactically with some of the things that you need to do from day to day. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I spoke to someone at Mercer last week, and uh, I mean, they're definitely looking for uh, solutions to present to their you know employers as well. So I suppose that would be a way to get to dozens of them through one. Yeah, and the, and the larger firms have. Yeah, the, especially the, the really largest ones, they have some significant resources that will help you um, make some good decisions on, on what plan to choose, which vendor to use, things like that. Uh, but at the end, it really comes down to the people with that firm. So just because it's you know a Mercer or Willis Towers, you know, it really is about the the, the team that you're working with. Right. And I, I guess I only know the big that of its consultants, but I mean, are there smaller ones as well, or even like brokers, for example, that you would recommend digital help entrepreneurs, you know, reach out to? I mean, and not, not necessarily specific ones, but I mean, are there just like the top five or are there actually hundreds of people doing benefits consulting? Uh, you know, there might be a few boutique firms that, that, that can deliver. Um, right. But I, I would say what you're saying, the, the, the top five or so really probably are the ones that have enough of the uh, resources to really deliver what you're looking for if you want to be innovative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the most of the Fortune 500 is working with the, the big uh, consultants as well. I, I guess another question I had, this is one of the most interesting things in our discussions. Um, I mean, I guess like, what, what's your opinion on these digital health solutions that have, you know, per employee per month fees versus, you know, more of performance-based pricing? For example, um, you know, Teladoc might come and say, okay, great, it's you know, a dollar per employee per month, but then nobody uses it. Versus just billing seventy dollars to the health plan every time someone actually talks to a doctor. How do you think um, employers are looking at per employee per month fees? Well. PMPM is nice on the front end because you know what your budget is going to be. But most of the time after you've had it for about 15 months, you hate it because you realize how much you're overpaying yeah. um, for the example that you're, uh, you're doing. I think, you know, your, your more savvy benefits people are not going to be, they're, they're going to be wary of a PMPM model on that. They're going to want a lot of guarantees on that. Um, to make sure that they're getting their, their money's worth on that. Yeah. I mean, certainly uh, most of our contracts are, are performance based, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that seems to be the direction that everything's going. Yeah. Ideally, ideally I would say if you can pay for what you use, but you have a good, reliable understanding of what your budget's going to look like, that's probably the preferable way to go. You're paying a good price, uh, per use, that's that's the preferable way. But the question is, is what's your budget going to look like? So I guess with the digital health solution, um, do you think that it's more attractive to the employer when you could submit a claim? So take the example of you know a virtual doctor visit. Um, I mean, does that make it easier for them to get the budget approved if they're submitting a claim to the health plan rather than I guess it's sitting in some other you know expenditure category? It, it is. It's certainly you know. For, for a few reasons, it's it's attractive. For one, it's it's it means that it's not clogging up your your overall platform. Mm-hmm. 
because um, you're, you, you don't have this overall arching vendor relationship you have to deal with. So uh, at least not in the, in the normal way. The other thing is, is you can compare that service compared to the one that's replacing and it's usually fairly easy to understand whether there's value in that solution. So if you can put this in and you're gonna spend less money to get roughly the same outcome, it's a very easy decision and one that everyone uh, likes. Right, yeah, I would imagine it's also easier to track the um, cost savings where you could actually look at claims data mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. Yeah, um, because I think that even with things like diabetes prevention, there's a good story around cost savings, but then the question is, you know, what actually happens two years, three years you know, down the line? What do you, what have been some of the main things that have changed? Like in your, in your tenure in the industry, uh, you know, obviously last, I, I, well, how long have you been working in benefits? Since 1995. Okay. So technology has developed quite a bit since 1995. Uh, what are some of the main ways that things are different and have evolved uh, since you kind of started in the industry? Data is probably the big, big factor. Uh, there's so much more data that you can look at to understand um, how your plan is performing. What are the drivers? What are the opportunities? Um, and that's going to continue to, to improve uh, to a scary point. When you look at the, the major technology firms, they're spending more money developing healthcare solutions then the pharmaceutical companies are, are putting into research. So um, it's, I think five years from now, it's, things are gonna look very different than they do today. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. It's good to get a, you know, an employer's uh, perspective. So uh, yeah, this was really, really valuable and we uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Sure, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Digital Health Entrepreneurship. This was a great episode because we got a different perspective than usual by talking to a benefits professional. I don't know if you picked up on it, but Lawrence met Tom by reaching out on LinkedIn. And we were also talking about how do you differentiate yourself? Um, how you reach out and how you use some of the tools can really help to set apart as you're building this network. I'm gonna link in the description our episode on how to use LinkedIn and how LinkedIn can be a hugely powerful tool. And Lawrence kind of shares what he's done to use LinkedIn. So I encourage you, listen to that episode next. You can click that episode link in the description of this show. And again, thank you so much for sticking around, for joining us. We'll see you next week on Digital Health Entrepreneurship.